Hello, this is Opera Unbound, a podcast that breaks the barriers between opera singers and the audience. We will cover the process, challenges, stereotypes, and inspirations associated with opera. If you like the content that we're putting out and you'd love to see more, make sure you subscribe to our channel as well as share it with all your friends. Hello, today we are sharing some interviews that we conducted with our castmates. We are going to talk to Ivy Joe, who is singing Adina, Rob McPherson, who will be singing Nemorino, and you know Mike Heitman, who will be singing Belcore in our Elixir of Love, which opens this Friday. So, let's start with you, Rob. Uh-oh. Tell us a little bit about your journey to, to opera. Well, um, like most good journeys, it didn't start out going that direction at all. Uh, I'm a Pentecostal preacher's kid, so I grew up singing gospel. Uh, but then I went to the University of Puget Sound to study voice, but never really planning on being an opera singer. I mean, when I graduated from college, I was a working actor in Seattle for about six years, uh, working at Village Theater, uh, Fifth Avenue, you know, various uh, local companies. And then there comes a point in your life where you realize there's the thing you're doing and then there's the thing you're supposed to do. And that's when I started to realize one day that it was time to focus on opera. And it was like the universe said, all right, we've been waiting for you. And some things started to happen and open up. Um, I mean, it wasn't always easy. And I definitely took the, um, the long route. I never did a young artist program. Never got a lot of heat behind me. I just, uh, I just worked and eventually worked my way up from little crappy houses uh, to some of the best houses in the, in the uh, you know, internationally. Now, what, what sparked the interest in opera? Like, what was your first encounter with opera? I saw La Boheme. Okay. I saw it live at Seattle Opera when I was in high school. And I had no idea what they were saying, and yet I was following the story. Mm-hmm. And they had super titles, but I was just so intrigued, and I was just blown away. But one of the real transformative moments in my life, funny enough, uh, was singing Una Furtiva Lagrima for the first time when I was in college. My professor at the time, um, Tom Golicki, uh, God rest his soul, uh, went on sabbatical. Mm-hmm. And Bill Eddy... Uh, who was both a voice teacher and a mentor, he filled in for that semester. And that's when I started to feel the joy of singing again. And I was so excited. Art song and and stuff like that, and German leader was fine. But I like the big paintbrush. And Mm -hmm. that's what I loved about opera, was these large emotions and the amazing melodies that just seemed Herculean. And that moment when you really are able to figure something out technically and to sing it the way that's in your head, it's one of the greatest rushes. And that was kind of what I did for most of my career, singing very technically challenging music. Mm -hmm. Because I kind of liked that rush. Absolutely. So. Yeah. And, you know, and then things changed a bit. COVID hit and, and, you know, re re creating myself a little bit and finding what that next rush is. And right now that's making people laugh. And you do it so mm-hmm. fabulously. Well, the drunken tenor has become an outlet and a business. 
uh, during COVID. So uh, you'll see much more of that. Yes. He's got another show coming up. Ivy, um, I'm going to ask you about your role in the show and what is your character's story? Cool. <clears throat> um, Adina is kind of the cool girl, um, but she's not. She's not like the mean girl, cool girl. I think she's nice. I think she's got a good heart, but she's got a real bad guy radar. Mm. Um, she's the kind of person who's got like all her shit figured out except for the romance department, I think. Mm-hmm. And she just keeps picking the douchebag. Um, so that's kind of where we're at in the story is she kind of meets her final douchebag. And then hopefully, hopefully she meets her uh, happily ever after in the Marino. Yes. Yeah. And um, why should... People come to see our elixir. Rob is very funny. <laughs> um, that's been my favorite part, is kind of watching uh, watching the, the comedic masterwork. Um, yeah, I mean, it's great music, and it's going to be more relatable than going to... I mean, I love elixir on a big stage. I hope mm-hmm. you went to see it at Seattle Opera a few weeks ago. Um, but this is a very different adaptation. It's a, a little more close to home. Um, and if you don't like it, it's only 40 minutes, so, you know, <laughs> risk it's long. not eternity. Yeah, but it's, exactly. also, it's also a chance to see voices up front, close and live. That's right. Because mm-hmm. that's one of the things that's like, you know, throughout our life, everything is, you know, coming through speakers or headphones, it's digital, it's downloadable, yes. it's auto-tuned, it's, you know, we've kind of lost the human voice. Mm-hmm. And there is nothing like being in a space and actually feeling sound waves. Oh, absolutely. And that's one of the cool things about uh, being able to do this in a smaller venue is to have that immediacy with the audience. Yes. You'll all be in what I call the splash zone or the center zone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and the other thing, too, is it's, kind of, yeah. it's kind of going off of what Rob is saying. The reason why... Because in case you're unaware, I was the one who wrote the libretto for this. So like, if you hate it, it's his fault. Yeah, it's totally... <laughs> you, you come at me, bro. <laughs> Send me... Yes, I want all of it. No, but like when I, when I write these things, there's many reasons why I think they're so beneficial. And we've talked about that ad nauseum on the podcast. But one of the big ones is that relates to both the singer and the audience is that we can't hide. We can't hide between these grand singer gestures and all this stuff. You're literally right there. Yep. You can't make um, non-straightforward acting decisions, which forces us as singers to make better decisions and to be more relatable. So therefore, as the audience, you're much better able to really understand what's being said and feel the story and the emotion and as also as Rob saying, um, you know, feel those voices like right there. You just don't like I have been to many, many performances, you know, Seattle Opera, The Met, all this stuff. And those are great in their own category. But there is nothing like having someone right in front of you. Yeah, the intimacy is very yeah, special. It's, it's so incredible. And that's one of the reasons why I love doing stuff like this. So. Okay, um, Mike, I think people know your journey to opera i feel like we've talked about this on the podcast Mm. so i'm not going to ask you that question (laughs) i'm going to ask you what your favorite activities are to do when you're not singing well uh even though it may not look like it i do love to work out um i also really enjoy actually road trips and not because i like going a particular place but 
I love just driving around and noticing things and then thinking about the questions that come to mind. I used to live in Idaho for a really long time, two different places, one kind of near the Tetons and like Yellowstone and then also Northern Idaho. And when I would like on the weekend, I would go and just drive around and you would see this different landscape and you're like, what do these people do? Like, really? If you're not a farmer and you're not working for the school district, what are you doing? So then you get into the minds of like, well, how do people think? And so it's really interesting to me to go on these road trips and think about people, which then informs how you write things. Because they are not people like me or you potentially. You know, it's like uh, earlier today I had a rehearsal for another show that I wrote. It's basically the Cinderella story. And it's just interesting talking with the people in the cast about these people who are in it. Because I'm doing it as like The Bachelor like, I'm not like these online, uh, you know, people that we see on TikTok and stuff like that. But, like, seeing them relate to those people that we are not. And I think that that's one of the wonderful but also challenging things about us as artists is mm -hmm. we have to do that. You know, whether we agree with the person or not. And so I, I like going on road trips and meeting people and thinking about how the world works. That doesn't make me deep, by the way. I'm a very, like... <laughs> oh, we know you. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Uh, just in case there's someone out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just in case there was any, like, he's like, is he, like, trying to be something he's not? I'm like, no, I'm very simple, but, you know, people are people. That's So that's one of the things I like to do. And also stand-up comedy. I love watching that because I love the writing. And the my favorite comics are those who start you here. They know you're going to a terrible place here, but they have to wind you along to where... The logic, you can't necessarily refute why this is funny. Mm -hmm. You can maybe not agree with it, but you can at least follow their logic. And sometimes it's really a, a messed up journey, but it's, it's a very fun process. I don't know. if you're, Are you like that, Rob, too, with your, when you listen to stand-up? Because you do well, stand-up now, yeah, right? Well, you're, you know, yeah. It's like, what, what do you like to do on the side? Um, and it's not quite the side, because it's actually become part yeah, yeah, of... Yeah, the, yeah. Well, it's become part of the drunken tenor. Uh, I, I've... I've upped the amount of stand-up content that I interact with the audience on. But doing open mics and doing uh, comedy gigs and features and stuff like that, I've done a couple of the clubs around town, it is a very different animal. One of the things with, with singing, we get to a point sometimes where it's like you make a mistake and, you know, five pages have gone by and you're still thinking about the high C that you cracked. <laughs> oh, yep. <laughs> Um, the great thing about comedy is when a joke doesn't fall, you have to go on to the next one. You can't think about what didn't work. You can dissect the body afterwards when you look at the video because I record everything. But there's this immediacy that you're in the moment and what I do for stand-up is a little different. Because um, I also use music and not every comedian does that. Um, so, you know, it's, I get some comedians looking at me like going, oh, this is really cool and fresh and people going, um, yeah, when did the cast of Glee show up? <laughs> so, uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting, uh, to feel like, you know, one of these things is not like the other. Mm -hmm. Um, but I love either it works or it doesn't. Yes. Mm -hmm. And an audience lets you know very quickly they laugh or they don't. Mm -hmm. But sometimes even not laughing 
Yeah. It's still if if you know what you're doing, you can still recover from a from a non laugh. Yeah, absolutely. Do you also feel sometimes when you write things, some of the jokes are not that they're necessarily only for you, but like perhaps you and maybe only a few people will really understand how funny that actual thing is. I will throw in maybe a few um, comic Easter eggs. Okay. The majority of what I do is I. If somebody knows a lot about classical music, there is a level of comedy that they will find in a drunken tenor show. Uh, not the same thing when I do stand-up. But I want to make sure that the average person, all they have to do is show up. They don't have to research it. They don't have to study. They don't have to have a syllabus. You show up, I take you by the hand, that's the last thing you need to do. And at that point, it's my responsibility. Mm-hmm. My responsibility to make sure that you have an amazing evening and that you have fun. And that there will be some highs and there will be some lows. And there will be some heart moments. Because mm-hmm. uh, I feel comedy, if you can make people laugh, you're that much closer to making them cry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's all emotion. It's getting people to open up. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Okay. I'm going to come back to the first question. All right. Tell us about your journey with opera. Okay. Um, kind of similarly to Rob, actually. I didn't have the kind of, like, conservatory, master's, yap, career path either. Um, I was a public policy major in undergrad. That's that's what I graduated with. Um, yeah. I, uh, I really liked... So I started out in the very beginning. I was like, well, I'm good at languages. I kind of like humanity stuff. Um, I was like, maybe I'll do like international relations or something like that. Um, and then I took one class and it was very hard. And I was like, no, 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 no. no, no. I'll stay home. <laughs> yeah, back away quickly. Um, and I was like, well, I think I want to maybe explore something that's sort of in this vein, but something that's a little closer to, like, people and not, like, I'm high and mighty and making, like, international policies. So I did public policy, which my school offered, um, but I started taking voice lessons, like, partway through college, and my voice teacher was like, oh, I need you to, like, think about this, <laughs> and I was like, I don't, I, I don't know, like, uh, okay, um, but I ended up, so I took voice lessons for, like, the latter two years of my college degree, and I did, like, opera workshop, and um, I went to a school that was, like, wonderful but didn't have just enough people to do, like, a full opera program. So we did opera workshop, and it was great. Um, and then I ended up taking a gap year and doing, deciding to go for a master's, and I was like, what the hell? Like, let's see what happens. And so I applied to a few. I ended up getting into one, and I went to a master's um, in performance and pedagogy Mm -hmm. and then I graduated and was lucky enough to kind of find work right away so that was I I mean I feel like you know they always say it's like a mixture of luck and preparation right Mm -hmm. like you have to like prepare yourself to be ready for like when the opportunity comes to you yes and you also have to be like really freaking lucky because it is hard to make it an opera and sometimes it is no fault of your own you know so it kind of like converged for me. So I started out doing a lot of outreach work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still do some outreach work. And it's great and it's important and it's fun working with kids. Um, so I got a job right out of school working with Portland Opera doing outreach uh-huh. with them. And they have like an amazing flagship program that goes all over kind of the Northwest. Um, I think that's Pogo. How we met? Did we? 
Didn't I you meet you in Portland? I think I met you in Portland. We met through a mutual friend, mm-hmm. Kate Farrar. <laughs> amazing Metso, look <laughs> her up. Um, she was doing the Portland Opera Resident Artist Program. Yes. yes. And so I was there at that same time, but doing the, um, what's called Pogo Portland Opera to go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I did Pogo for a few seasons. It was a great way to like kind of get to know the Northwest and see, like go to areas where you wouldn't normally go. Um, we went to, you know, like schools that had like 40 kids, like mm-hmm. total, or like people like bust in the kids from like three hours away mm-hmm. to this like little schoolhouse. And we went to like, you know, bigger schools as well. Um, yeah, I did that for a few seasons and then I was like, you know what? I love Portland, but it's a little too small opera wise, mm-hmm. um, opportunities wise. And so I moved up <laughs> to Seattle. Um, I had actually gotten, I kind of made a lateral move. I got a role with um, Seattle Opera's outreach program. Uh-huh. So I was like, you know what, I'll use this as kind of my excuse to move up. And so I did that. And um, yeah, here mm-hmm. I am. Here I am. Yeah. Thank you, Rob. Uh-oh. <laughs> what is your musical guilty pleasure? Oh. Well, okay, it's, it's kind of two things. Now, if I'm just going to, like, listen to something, I loves me some ABBA. Mm, I have yeah, to okay. admit it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but also no, ABBA or, or, or Air right. Supply or mm-hmm. in, in some little cheesy, but I, I do have a soft spot in my heart because, um, you know, when I was kind of coming to my own and, and I was a that Pentecostal preachers kids, so I kind of came into pop music late. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I listened to you know Amy Grant, Michael W. Smith, <laughs> Patty, you know Sandy Patty, you know mm-hmm. that was the stuff. So I got into it a little late, um, even with my brothers listening to like you know Black Sabbath and stuff. Yeah, that's my guilty pleasure. It's like all the metal classical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, stuff. Something about some of that kind of like cheesy but har- heavy harmonies, mm-hmm. and that's yeah, yeah. that's the thing that I kind of love about it. But again, and then my, my other guilty pleasure is just taking other people's music and um, making parodies out of it. So, I mean, it's like I, I love when, you know, it's, it's, you know, of course, the, the king of it is always, you know, Weird Al. Oh, of um, yeah. Yes, absolutely. But there's, but there's, there's a, a part of, out. yeah, I know, yes. I've seen it, Weird. I'm <laughs> looking at uh, November 5th, I think, or something like, it's coming out. But no, I, so... I also love being able to explore some other people's music and just see what I can, if I can come up with something that seems funny. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, Let's talk about Belcore. You thought it was just a prop. Yes. It's so, Belcore is your stereotypical douchebag who thinks that not that he's necessarily God's gift to women, but that he can get any woman he wants. Mm-hmm. Because he's in the army, and a lot of women love a man in uniform, and he kind of plays off of that. Mm-hmm. Or just assumes, I guess, that, well, I'm in uniform. So Now, when you come and see the show, either in person or live, you'll notice that I'm not coming in with, like, army gear. Because... I see Belcore is not only that, but he's terrible at his job. Like, he's one of those people that, like, yeah, I'm in the army, and I'm there, but, like, I'm only there because it's really hard to fire me, kind of thing. 
So like I'm more th- I'm still mulling it over, but like I'm not gonna be clean shaven, mm-hmm. which most military people are. I will have the dog tags. I won't have camo, right? Um, and so yeah, he's just basically your your uh, military person who's in the military because he likes the benefits of it, but he's really deep down inside not a not a good person, not the type of person you would want to be actually serving in the military like if you had to pick sure or dating your sister yeah <laughs> exactly that too okay let's wrap this up uh rob you tell us a little bit about your role in the opera all right uh nemarino um he's a dork well yes but he's he's also he's been sheltered um he hasn't truly experienced life and with that comes a certain amount of deficiencies. Um, you know, he's probably somebody who's gaming till like three or four in the morning. <laughs> and hasn't, re- you know, he's, he's got a very rich Can fantasy life. life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, um, man child. But in, in actual life life, um, that's where his deficiencies are very clear. And I think with that comes unrealistic expectations and not knowing how to even talk to a woman, uh, you know, you, you, when you're that kind of an individual, you know, a lot of your cues come from the movies you've seen. And we all know movies have misled us terribly throughout history. Oh, goodness. Um, That's true. So, you know, so he's, he's really does not have skills. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think is genuinely at core... A decent person, but you know, how do you get to know that if you can't actually talk with somebody? And that's that's the dilemma that he actually has. So, being able to have some sort of an elixir that gives him permission to put his anxieties and his uh, hesitancies on hold is the reason he's actually able to talk to uh, Adina and they start something. And even though, you know, he's probably at first glance not the the greatest thing that she's ever gone for and definitely not the type that she has gone for before, I think by by the end she sees that there is a decent man there but probably like in a fixer-upper sort of way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thank you everyone for uh, joining us for our little interviews with our cast members. Again, we have Ivy, who's doing Adina, Rob as Nemorino, Mike as Belcore, and me behind the screen. I'm doing Dolkamara. Um, you heard us talking about the uh, Elixir of Love show coming up the 16th, the 18th, and the 24th. Uh, I would go ahead and reserve your tickets because for some of these performances, they are starting to fill up and there's not many spots left. So they're hot. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Hope to see you soon. Thanks for listening to this podcast episode. For more information about the podcast or for extras, check out our Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash opera unbound. Ciao.